0: Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Business of Psychology. Today, I'm really happy to be back after my break and talking to the wonderful Dr. Paula Redmond. Paula is a clinical psychologist who specializes in burnout so this is a very pertinent topic for me right now um, as those of you who've been long-term listeners will know I recently took a bit of a break from the podcast and from my social media profiles because I managed to burn myself out even though I wasn't seeing any clients <laughs> which I hadn't previously thought was possible but it very much was um, so Paula's content has always been very supportive to me she's an extremely uh, helpful and knowledgeable psychologist I've also known Paula for a couple of years because she's a member of my membership and we've done some coaching together Um, but I've been desperate to have her on the podcast for ages to talk to us about this subject because I know burnout is a big problem in private practice it doesn't end if we leave the NHS does it Um, so a big welcome welcome Paula thank you Rosie. thank you for having me Oh, it's wonderful to have you here. So, I feel like I've done a little bit of an introduction there, but it would be really great for people to get to know you a bit better. So, can you just tell us who you are and who
1: you help? Sure. So, I am Paula Redmond. I'm a clinical psychologist um, and I work, my background was in older adult mental health for a long time. Um, But just around two years ago, so kind of 2020. I left the NHS and set up in independent practice. Um, and I specialised in working with health professionals around burnout and workplace trauma. Um, yeah. So it feels like
0: you've had Quite a short journey, really, into private practice. Twenty twenty feels like yesterday <laughs> to me. I don't know if that's just I the know. effect of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, um, but you've achieved a yeah. lot in a short period of time, and it's it certainly kind of knowing you a bit during that period. It's felt like you were fueled by a real passion um, for yeah. your subject. So, yeah. so let's talk a bit about that and, and where that passion comes from. So, firstly, what is burnout? Because I know we hear it all the time. Yes, yes. But what does it really mean?
1: Wow, well, um, it's such a good question. Because I think it is a word that is is used a lot right now, and I think um, I think it's important to understand it clearly so that we can be effective in responding to it. Um, so the the WHO, the World Health Organization, is very clear that burnout is not. A medical or mental health condition, um, and they describe it as an organisational occupational issue. Um, so it's this is the definition: is that it's a syndrome conceptualised as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. So the onus is very much on the workplace in holding the responsibility for. Um, creating the conditions under which burnout can occur. Um, And there's three dimensions. Um, So feelings of exhaustion and depletion, um, getting feeling increasingly cut off uh, from work, which can look like feeling very negative or or cynical, or just very detached, um, and a reduced sense of professional efficacy. Uh, which is, um, you know, often shows up as self-doubt and just feeling like, you know, we're no good at um, what we're doing and it kind of, yeah, stuck. So um, so burnout kind of technically, according to that definition, occurs when we experience all three of those. Um, and there's lots of overlap, but we might find ourselves identifying more with one of those areas, than another Um, and I think particularly for health professionals and and I guess especially thinking about what we've been through in the last two years I also think it's important um, to consider when we say burnout whether we're actually talking about trauma and moral injury Um, so one of the things I have put together is a, a burnout toolkit for Health professionals. And it kind of breaks it down into these five categories. Um, And as I said, you know, people might identify across them, but I think it's really helpful um, to tune into what might be going on for you or might be most salient for you at any particular time. So those patterns, um, which kind of match to those definitions, are overloaded, detached, self doubting. And then, as I said, kind of traumatized and morally distressed bits, which I think are really important to consider. Yeah, I think that's
0: really helpful because I think like with any label, people do tend to get a bit concerned that maybe they don't deserve the label mm-hmm. or they're either worried that they're too far too far down the line yeah. um, or that they're not yeah not not somehow deserving of it like you know my Mm. job's not hard enough Mm. I shouldn't Mm. be feeling like this Mm. you know it's always the shoulds and the shouldn'ts isn't it that yeah that kind of get us in our heads and stop people from getting support yeah yeah but I think what I like about what you just said is that sometimes people might be able to identify with one or two of those areas Mm. and then find a practical way Mm. forward from there rather than having to like should I be labeled with this syndrome as a whole yeah
1: yeah and I guess people who when we talk about burnout if you don't recognize yourself in what's being described or what you've seen you might think oh I can't be burnt out because I'm experienced like I just don't care anymore I don't give a shit Am I allowed this way? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I always want my podcast exclusively. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just don't give a shit anymore. Um, whereas other people might be, you know, staying up all night, worrying about work and, and, you know, can't stop caring. And those two things, you know, can feel like polar opposites. Um, but I guess they could both be called burnout.
0: Mm, that's so interesting um, they're kind of coming from the same place yeah it yeah. might look
1: and feel really different yes 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 and I guess there's you know that there's something um that in all of what, what holds it together is a kind of just struggle to function um and that it becomes Uh, you know can have a snowballing effect because if you're not gaining meaning and satisfaction from work you know that's just torturous Um, Mm. you know and if you're continually just exhausted you know we spend so much time and energy and I think again especially for health professionals our identities are so caught up with work that if we're not functioning at work it has huge implications for us emotionally um psychologically and for our mental health so I think you know again there's overlap with uh, you know anxiety and depression and all of those things that it can start to develop into um, because work is so important to us
0: absolutely and I think it's interesting what you said there about the WHO um definition very firmly putting the onus on the workplace and Mm. that the workplace creates Mm. burnout it's not Mm. located within the individual Mm. Um, I thought that was really interesting you know what I think I'm almost laughing asking the question because I feel like a lot of people listening will have a list as long as as long as their arms of like what Mm. toxic stuff has gone on in their workplace (laughs) what are some examples of (laughs) situations that might occur in the workplace that'd yeah. be likely to lead to burnout.
1: Yeah. Well, I think big one is workload. Um, you know, just unrealistic expectations and pressure to achieve, you know, crazy targets without adequate resources. So that gap between demand and resource. Um, and I think often what we find, you know, particularly in healthcare, particularly in the in the NHS, is a kind of um just a lack of acknowledgement about that. Like there's so much creep that you almost can't say that, <laughs> you know, there's nowhere to say like, this is crazy. This is nonsense. Like it's not doable. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of normalized. So there's, you know, and, and I, I don't want to use this term cause I think it can be overused, but you know there's a gaslighting that goes on, you know, like just you know, you just can get more demands into your inbox or, oh, now we've just added an extra bit to the form that you have to fill in. And it's like, no, we couldn't even do it before. Now you're just adding on. And it's death by a thousand cuts sometimes, just adding, adding, adding and stripping, stripping, stripping of resources. So I think that is, you know, a key one. Um, I think the other thing that's really important is the kind of dehumanising culture that can go on where people really feel like they are a nameless um, cog in this big machine and their individual um, needs and rights are not respected so that can come down to things like you know knowing your rota patterns long enough in advance so you can plan your life or you know having your annual leave respected or approved or um being able to take a lunch break being able to have a drink you know we've seen the last you know recently when it's been very hot you know no you know like nursing bodies having to put out messages to say it's okay for nurses to have a drink of water on their shift like what is that i mean the fact that that even has to be said oh wow it's crazy um you know just not being able to access hot water or rest or I mean hot meals you know or rest or those kind of basic things um can really grind you down and and mean that uh, you know you start losing a connection with with work just being able to um, maintain your own health but I think that there's also an aspect where you're not able to deliver the care that you want to, Um, whether that's because there's not enough resource, because you aren't resourced as a human being enough to do that, Um, and how distressing that is um, to day after day, you know, be giving not good enough, care or feel like you're not giving good enough care when you're giving everything um it's really hard
0: and i guess that can come down to what's the next person that i'm handing over to in the chain and if that person is cut yeah um or you know they're under resourced in a way Mm. even if your individual bit might Mm. have been seen to be ring fenced Mm. It can be really traumatic mm. to hand over to the next stage mm. for somebody mm. and know that it doesn't really exist. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I can definitely relate to that uh, yeah. from my previous NHS experience. Yeah,
1: yes. And I guess if we're talking specifically about psychology and and um, mental health therapies, the sense of you know people having been on long waiting lists, you know, desperate situations, and then you've only got six sessions. Um, and then what I was just horrendous mm. position to be in, and as if successions you know there are some times when you know brief work is is okay, but if you've been waiting two years for that, and oh that's that's rough to have to you know hold that every day um. And not have a desk yes or that. A, a functioning IT system all of those kind of little niggles um mm. so it can really weigh on us very heavily um and I think you know often um it is these kind of you know sometimes we might have a major event that happens so you know, something quite traumatic, whether that is um, something that I happen clinically with a client, something that happens with colleagues, you know, bullying, for example, that's a huge contributing factor or kind of just hostility with colleagues. Um, but often we kind of cope with that and we manage that. um but it can often I see it's the smaller things that kind of break the camel's back, um, which I think is a, is a very common thing um, that when people look back and pinpoint the moment they thought, I can't actually continue. It's something very small, like, you know, the computer crashed or um couldn't get a parking space you couldn't get a parking space or um you know you you uh did something I'm speaking for myself yeah. you know did something that compromised you like taking your sick kid to nursery when you kind of really knew they shouldn't go but you just felt you couldn't miss work and then you go and like you know someone else has taken your room booking or (laughs) um you know something's been cancelled and you find yourself having compromised your values one time too many
0: um something about that thanklessness yeah and it's you know I I think you called it dehumanization Mm. um but I think it is that basic lack of respect, mm. yes. isn't it? And it's how yes. am I supposed to deliver a good service to people mm. when I'm not deemed worth having mm. a desk? Yeah, I'm expected yeah. to work in my car. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um. So how can I be what these people need me to be? Mm. Mm. And I remember having a strong sense of that, that families had wasted a long time mm. and then they were presented with me And I Mm -hmm. felt like a piece of Mm -hmm. dirt because Mm. that's kind of how we were treated. Um, So there's lots of issues in there. And Mm. I think I've always got an ear on. So how are we creating this or possibly recreating this in private practice? Yes. A lot of people listening to this will have had that realisation that they were burnt out yeah. and decided to make a big change, whether yeah. that is stepping entirely into independent work or whether that is stepping down a little bit from their NHS post mm. and mm. taking on some independent work. And what I've noticed from people in our community and that I've talked to and in myself is that often we kind of recreate yes. this burnout. Yes, and, and there were two things that really struck me the gap between expectation and resource mm-hmm. and the dehumanization mm. and how easily we can actually do that to ourselves mm. yes yes just yes. thinking about my recent experience mm. the thing that burnt me out was expecting myself with a very small baby mm. and two children under five and my husband not being around yeah to still be pumping out a podcast every week yeah social media to promote that podcast every week, plus yeah. doing all the other stuff I have to do to to run the business. Yeah, And I didn't even really notice that yeah. that was an unfair expectation mm. Mm. because I guess we kind of get used to it. Mm. And I think there's a real danger of that. Mm. And it, it's the same with the dehumanization. Mm. If you've not had a lunch break for your mm. whole career, it's probably a lot easier to say, oh, yeah, I'll just squeeze that client in yes yes and compromise yourself yes yes. and even things like you know you've not had a water cooler for the last decade so you don't do little nice kindnesses for yourself like putting some
1: water in the fridge (laughs) yes yes yeah yeah it's really you see yes and it's and I see it in myself too and and then it becomes very challenging because we don't have the big ogre of the organization to locate the responsibility and we've got to be accountable for that ourselves and acknowledge how entrenched those patterns of of relating to work have become. Um, And exactly just the the kinds of, you know, things you've mentioned about how we can, you know, treat ourselves, you know, really badly around working conditions, um, not taking lunch breaks, compromising on, on, you know, the things that, as you said, are usually the reasons we decided to, to make the move, which is never an easy move. You know, it's always really tied up with, um, you know, guilt, I, I think, for, for most people. You know, it's a tough decision to, to leave the NHS, um, especially if you're doing that completely. And we, it's not one that's taken lightly. Um, and it is so interesting how we can, as you say, recreate those patterns and the very things that we you know led us to make those decisions we kind of bring them with us so some of the things you know I've noticed one of the things I really struggled with working in older adults which particularly for psychology historically really underfunded and I was usually for most of my career the only psychologist um Or we only had one post, you know, for a huge patch and was doing a a job share, which meant that, you know, if you if you lived in that, you know, big geographical area and you needed a psychologist, um, whether that was for, you know, OCD or psychosis or couples therapy or dementia assessment um, or, you know depression anxiety uh whatever it was me <laughs> and i couldn't say oh no like i'm not really that's you know i don't really have the right expertise i couldn't say no i had to say yes to everyone and that i hated that i hated uh not having an opportunity to really develop my interest expertise because i had to remain a generalist but that also meant um feeling like i couldn't really offer anybody a really excellent service Um, and then in private practice you know sometimes i found myself doing that you know feeling like i can't say no Um, you know maybe partly a kind of moral obligation it's hard to say no anyway it's hard to say no if someone's sought you out Um, but then there's also financial you know, concern that that is different and new. Um, And there are times when, you know, I found myself feeling very similarly, like, oh, my gosh, how am I meant to serve people with all these different needs? And why have I done this to myself again? Um, So I think being able to, to notice that and have support to notice those patterns is really key um you know and and other things like becoming you know professionally isolated which is a danger in the NHS you know you, you can have um you know worked as part of teams which were lovely but as I said often the only psychologist um and then you know working in private practice on my own at home that's a big danger and you've got to work hard I think to Um, counteract that because it can feel comfortable it's what you know yeah that's really interesting so that sort of brings me on to what my next question
0: was going to be which is about so you you've mentioned the five profiles of Mm. of burnout and that it's really helpful for us to learn which areas relate most to us Mm. but what do we kind of do with that information so mm. firstly maybe you could say a little bit about what the five profiles are yeah because um, I know a lot of people won't have heard of that I have not heard of it before yeah um, and then we could think about maybe some practical solutions we could take if we're in yeah. that kind of independent practice
1: yeah. space. yeah yeah yes well let me so let's go through um the five then so if we start with um the overloaded pattern um which I guess is um, usually related to emotional exhaustion or you know general exhaustion and just that sense of drowning. You know, feeling like you can't really recover on your days off. You know, weekend isn't long enough. Um, you know, never feeling like there's enough hours in the day. You know, not leaving work on time, working evenings, etc. The kind of core task in responding to that um, is of being able to balance your needs and rights with those of your patients. Um, So I think there it's about kind of breaking it down to basics about what you need to be able to function as a human in a human body. Um, You know, and I guess that is around boundaries very much. Um, It might be asking for help. Um, It might be, um, you know, stopping kind of papering over the cracks you know letting things go so that you know the reality can show up Um, and it might also be a chance just to think about your processes you know can things be done differently allowing yourself to take time out to look at that you know if you're so in the work um, it's hard to step back and and look at how things could be done differently and I guess in private practice that might be about outsourcing some stuff
0: mm. um you know just giving yourself permission to even think yeah.
1: about it yeah. know, I do hear a lot from
0: people who are kind of in that burnt out place yeah that they don't have time to do yeah. anything other than client yeah. work and basic governance yes and, yes but if you did take 20 yes. minutes even yes. Yes. to think about how you're doing your intake form you might then gain a lot of time back
1: yeah but it can
0: be really hard in that mindset can't it to make that shift so officially we're both giving you permission to do that
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely so looking at processes um so the next pattern um is the detached pattern so um that's about really you know kind of not caring not feeling like you care or just like I'm sure you can think about those people, particularly if you've worked in the NHS, who just are really cynical, sarcastic all the time. Like, you know, they're just, or it feels like they're just there, you know, because it pays the bills and, you know, working till they retire kind of thing. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that, you know, that's, (laughs) but I guess if you're curious about burnout, you know, if you're feeling that gap between how you want your life to be and, how it is, um, you know, there's, there's some pain in there. Um, and you know, that's about, I think, feeling just a lack of fulfillment and a lack of connection with work. So the core task um, when we're in that space is, is trying to maintain a compassionate connection with our clients, with our patients, um, meaning in our work, while at the same time protecting ourselves. So we don't want to go too far because often that detachment is a protective response to being overly attached to work. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's all about finding that balance. Um, and I think, you know, there it might be about, you know, making a change at work, you know, just thinking Do you need to do something very different? Do you need to see different client groups? Do you need to step away from direct clinical work for a time? Um, Do you need to like foster identities outside of work, Um, find meaning elsewhere for a time, Um, actually take a work break, a sabbatical? Um, And also I think connecting with colleagues. Um, so so maybe the focus there can be on fostering relationships with, with colleagues and, and rebuilding meaning in that way. Um, so, yeah, that, that for me would be what I would pick out around the detached pattern. Yeah,
0: I, I find that one really interesting because it's the hardest one to own up to. Yeah, yeah. I think people find it really difficult to say, actually, I am feeling a bit detached mm-hmm. and I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm not feeling as much passion for mm. helping people as I used mm. to. Mm. But I think we know it when we experience mm. it. Yeah. And it's
1: easy to see in other people a yeah. lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. But harder to
0: admit to in yes. yourself.
1: Yes. And for me, that this was where I found myself. And, and one of the reasons I initially decided to, to step away from NHS work was because I was bored. I felt like I could do it in my sleep. I kind of like was didn't not that I didn't care about individual patients so much, but I, I kind of yeah, I sort of wasn't excited. I, I, I was bored. Mm-hmm. Um and I just knew I needed something very different because I didn't like it, like that felt really uncomfortable and sad and not how I wanted it to be. Um but yeah, that's a really hard thing to say about it this is. line of work.
0: It is. And I think, you know, for me, I recognize it as well. It's, I normally have, like when I'm feeling good, I have a excite excitement about work, whatever yeah. I'm doing. Yeah. I, I tend to wake up in the morning and feel quite excited about doing it. I know that makes me quite fortunate most of the time. Mm. But when that spark goes, I almost can't function really. Yeah. I just, yeah. I can't drag myself through whatever mm. I'm doing, mm. whether it's mm. client work or stuff I'd normally find, you know, less stressful, like mm. writing up notes, report mm. writing and anything really, mm. it just, everything feels like dragging myself through treacle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and for me, it has been that I need a total reset. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to think that maybe if I use your toolkit and I listen to your podcast <laughs> and I follow all your advice in the future, that I might notice it before it gets to that point. Yeah, um, yeah. And I'd like to talk about that kind of prevention strategies yeah. as well. Mm. But I feel like I've never been that good at spotting it mm. until it's got to the point where it's like, actually, I can't do this. Mm. Total break requires. Mm. Um, because I think, I think that, back.
1: I think, again, that's, that's the culture that's, there isn't space for those kind of conversations and I honestly think that you know we have a massive recruitment and retention crisis in the NHS right now Um, and I honestly think if things like just recognizing that as humans we can't just keep going and going and going and going like it's normal for people to take breaks it's normal for people to need a rest it's really important Um, And if that was built into our working lives I think it would be transformative you know if if people had a month sabbatical every three years I just think it would be amazing you know people would you know because it's also times for for growth and creativity and expansion that we would be able to just offer so much more. Um, and, And I think it's you know, to say, I, c- I can't be asked for this anymore. Like I need to do something else with my life. I mean, you know, what a scandalous thing to imagine saying, <laughs> but it's, it's like, that's just normal. That's, you know, how, how we are as humans, like things have seasons. Um, And I, and I think, I think, and that's why it becomes so problematic that we, we can't say it when it's, at that oh god like I just need a bit of a break right now we have to hold and hold and keep going and keep going until we can't get out of bed um or something horrible happens
0: yeah and it's it's that combination isn't it it's like there needs to be more rest built Mm. in Mm. I think we can see that but actually on its own that wouldn't fix the problem
1: mm, because mm. the dehumanizing
0: practices are still going on
1: yes whether yeah. that's
0: you know in our independent practices or in the nhs context it's like you we have to keep our eyes on all of these mm. factors mm, mm. and that's what it feels like it's difficult enough running a micro business like mine mm, <laughs> to mm. think about how to do that mm. let alone with a big organization mm. um and I think that might be partly where the challenge comes because we mm-hmm. do every now and again see initiatives mm-hmm. are designed to improve well-being. Yeah. And they but they usually target one of these areas. Yeah. And then we all just get angry that yes. they're focusing
1: on that and ignoring yes. all the rest. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. And I think there's lots of problematic stuff around those well-being movements. And I think I think it's because of the relationship that we have with work that you know we become very cynical about the organization you know offering us you know yoga classes or you know some shiny thing with one hand when they're actually beating you up with the other hand and mm. you know those basic you know if we could just be consistent with the basics we don't need the shiny things so we don't come to do this work for the shiny stuff we come you know because we care about the the everyday.
0: Mm, gosh, stuff. that's an interesting dynamic, actually, with a lot of public sector organisations. Mm. It's just sprung into my head. It's probably a bit of an overshare, but uh, but as armed forces spouses, we fill out a survey every couple of years about you know how the armed forces is treating us. Basically, mm. it's called like the friends and family survey, something like okay. that. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I filled mine out last year. <laughs> And I put, stop sending me stuffed toys and start treating me like a human. And I wrote it over and over and
1: over (laughs) again. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, because it was exactly that feeling though I was like great you've organized a fun day trip for my kids and actually I am appreciative of that yeah because that has value in it Mm. but you can't do that at the same Mm. time as giving my um, spouse short notice moves up and down the country that are totally unsustainable for a young family yes yes
1: um
0: and it feels like that, doesn't it? Yeah, like, yeah. okay, you can have a yoga session yeah. in your lunch hour, but we're also going to take away your social workers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, gosh, yeah, I hadn't really thought exactly. of that, but there seems to be a common dynamic mm. across perhaps the public mm. sector, but perhaps mm. actually big organizations mm. in general. Mm. I, I don't know so much about that.
1: And I think you know, we can, it's important to to sort of think, I don't know if politically is the right word, but I feel like those gestures often act to silence us. You know, just recently the NHS was given a medal by the Queen. Like, what is that? You know, when at the same time, there's real cuts in pay, mm. you know, real term cuts in pay, but literally a shiny medal that makes that makes people angry um and really erodes trust and and so then when something does come along that actually might be very helpful evidence-based you know mindfulness uh stuff people can't take that in because Mm -hmm. so much damage has been done
0: And perhaps that's the part of burnout which doesn't get recognized as much as it needs to be, Mm. because actually anger is the emotion that we have the most trouble recognizing Mm. in general,
1: Mm. I think, Mm. as a society. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: And perhaps if people were more willing to name the anger. Yes. Rather than just calling it stress. Yes, yes. Perhaps more productive stuff would be done. Yes.
1: And I think that's why I I always find myself in a funny position because while we very much, while I very much think about burnout as being a failure of the organization, actually it's hard for the repair to be done by the organization because our relationships are so damaged. So actually we need to be able to offer ourselves that. Um, So, you know, and we need to learn how to relate differently to ourselves in order to give ourselves permission to take what we need. Um, So for me, I think that's where I kind of square the circle of this is an organizational systemic problem, but individual interventions are necessary to help people recover and respond and empower people to name what's going on
0: yes i think that's really important so would you recommend that people first sort of work out what their profile is mm. against those five did we cover all five
1: no i think we only no. to two. two <laughs> oh
0: my gosh sorry because i interrupted all right so remind me so remind me what the first okay. two were
1: so, the, so overloaded, overloaded and detached detached and, and then, then the third one is self-doubting Okay. so that is kind of basically you know feeling like nothing you do really makes a difference you know anxious about you know what you can contribute um and I guess just to summarize what I would say around that um you know most of us going into these kind of jobs are selected for our perfectionism so you know there's a constant battle there so I think it's about finding a way to strive for excellence because that is important to us it's important to our patients um While also having compassion for ourselves when we make a mistake, don't have all the answers, don't have the resources. So, again, striking that balance. Um, And that's often about, you know, kind of being able to maintain a really realistic stance about what is achievable, given the resources that you have. Um, And, you know, just some of the stuff around working with perfectionism in terms of, you know, can we think about progress rather than perfection um, and and cultivating self-compassion? And you have
0: done some really helpful podcast interviews around those topics. Yes. So make sure if you're listening to this, you're thinking, oh, yes, I relate. Um, Listen to the When Work Hurts podcast. That's Paula's podcast. And yes, just so many useful insights from lots of experts, but also from yourself,
1: Paula. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Um, So the fourth uh, profile is kind of traumatized profile. So, um, you know, we we might think that that we would be more familiar with that, but I think we're not great at recognizing that within ourselves. Um, And so that kind of, you know, covers the spectrum of um, vicarious and secondary trauma but actually direct trauma that we can suffer in relation to work whether I work with a lot of people who've been bullied at work and who you know really have um, a post-traumatic response to those experiences um, but it's also maybe about what we've witnessed you know particularly through the pandemic for example but also just in the nature of mental health work um and i guess you know the, the task there is is finding ways of helping our mind and body to process what we've been through um, and i think for us that can be hard to um to acknowledge to allow ourselves to receive the care that we need um, as mental health professionals um, But, you know, I think all the things that we would be supporting our clients to do in terms of, you know, seeking help, being able to tell our story, but also kind of embodied stuff around, um, you know, grounding, movement, creative expression, really important. Um, And so then the final one is about moral distress, um, which I think, again, you know, relates to... um, A lot of the things that we've experienced in the last couple of years, but I think has been around for a long time in terms of, you know, really being witness to um, practices and, you know, service stuff that we feel is wrong um, and and being made to be complicit in delivering that. Um, So, There it's about being able to kind of make room for the pain of that, the reality of that um, without getting stuck into kind of self-sabotaging or punishing behaviors, you know, without getting stuck into um, withdrawing, you know, self-blame, self-criticism and shutting down and finding ways of, of opening up to our own, Responses, um, finding ways to take valued action, motivated by that moral pain. Um, yeah, it sounds
0: really powerful because for both of those final two—the um, traumatized presentation and the moral injury—I think people often don't allow themselves those categories. Yeah, because yeah, because yeah. it's so difficult. I think particularly for psychologists and therapists who are hearing a lot of stories Mm -hmm. often our clients come to us with stories that are thankfully well beyond our experiences Mm -hmm. you know it often Mm -hmm. happens to me that I will hear something in the therapy room that I just think my world has been so much more protected than yours Mm -hmm. and it's so it's humbling in a in a good way Mm -hmm. in some ways Mm -hmm. but it also means that you start to think, well, what right have I got mm. to be, you know, traumatized by this yeah. thing that I didn't even happen to me. I yeah. just vicariously yeah. um experienced it. Yeah. And I think I hear that a lot. And even mm. from people who, you know, you and I might think, Of course you're traumatized. Mm. But I was talking mm. to an ICU doctor mm. about it. And they were like, Well, what, what right have I got to be traumatized? Mm. I mm. could breathe. I yeah. I wasn't living it. Yeah. And you think, yeah. oh my gosh, but to me, you were just yes. in a different way. Yes. yes. And I wonder if that happens at every level. Mm. People just not giving themselves
1: permission to say, yes, mm. I am traumatized. Mm. Or- and again, I think it's reinforced by our working culture. You know, if if there's an idea that you can spend, I don't know, 20, 30 hours a week sitting in a room with a traumatized person every week you know what 48 weeks a year you know Mm. that 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 gives you the message that you know you should that should be fine that should be normal that's you know there's nothing wrong with that but actually oh that's a lot you know and yeah you know if we are there and present with our clients um that's going to be A lot and too much often um, if we're not careful.
0: So, if the first step is recognizing some of this stuff in ourselves and working out our profiles. What do we do? How do we take it forward from there? What's yeah. the practical stuff
1: that we can yeah. put in place? Yeah, so for me, there's kind of three threads that run through my work around this, which um, are compassion, connection, and creativity. So I think we need to start from a place of compassion, um, and I define, or the, the definition of compassion that I draw on, is that from. Uh, compassion focused therapy which um says that compassion is the sensitivity to the suffering of self and others and a commitment to alleviate that so we start with the sensitivity to the suffering um And that's difficult that's something that needs you know cultivation because actually we are bad at that um particularly health professionals I think particularly mental health professionals we can be very good at being sensitive to other people's suffering but actually we're we're not great so being able to cultivate you know a sense in the moment what is it that I need right now like you know, is it an ice cream or is it a walk or is it to call someone or, you know, is it a hug? Um, what is it that I need right now um, in that kind of micro level? And then thinking more macro, like what is it that I need in my work right now? Do I need more variety? Do I need more support? Do I need less of something, more of something? Um and being sensitive, I guess, to you know what kind of profile it is that is showing up for you can help us be more directive. Do I need more connection? Do I need more rest? Do I need more processing space? Um, and then taking action, you know, to to respond to that. Um, and for me, that often looks like connection. So by that, I mean. Um, A variety of things so connecting to our values taking time to you know and that's part of what we were thinking about you know why are you doing this why are you making the choices that you've made sometimes we need a reminder of the reasons you know if it was to spend more time with your family um are you are are you doing that you know is the way you're working allowing you to be more present with them or or are you kind of getting hooked by other things um Connection with values, um, connection with people, and I think, you know, with community and, and particularly, I guess, if we're thinking about private practice, that um, can be really challenging. But, you know, finding a way of, of building a community, whether that's online or, you know, locally to you, I think is really key. And something like, you know, the Do, the Do More Than Therapy community personally has been brilliant for me in, in helping to shape that. Um, and then I think you know connection to our bodies to nature that's very easy to forget especially when we um, are working online as a lot of us are
0: yeah and it feeds one feeds into the other doesn't it because yeah. if you're not allowing yourself to be sensitive to what you need yeah you might not notice that your body needs to move yes, um, yes exactly yeah and so then of course you don't make the space yeah um you to to have that and it's the same with the support one of the reasons that I set up do modern therapy was because I suddenly had this light bulb that went off in my head that I was sad because I had no connection Mm. with other psychologists and I really missed it um but that must have been true for years Mm. before Mm. I took that step Mm. and Mm. I just was insensitive I suppose Mm. to my own suffering and I think that's partly what we were saying about the dehumanization aspect if you've been used to being treated in that way yeah actually switching yourself back into treating yourself in the way that you would treat a client and showing that compassion yes yourself
1: that's really hard it's a big ask yeah and I think reminding yourself that you have choices um you know I think I've certainly found myself just reenacting a lot of patterns like you know working three long days for example because that's how I always you know well since I started having kids how I always did it and that meant like you know from nine to five absolutely like packing it in um which I found that. You know, by the end of the third day, I'm like a dead person. I I just so actually, it takes me two days to recover. So I'm not there for my family because I'm like a zombie. Um, and and being so actually, maybe like I literally don't have like what am I doing? I make the rules, so um, I'm planning. You know, to to shift things around. So actually, I'm I'm going to work mornings the so four mornings rather than three long days to do all my client work in the morning because I'm better in the morning it's better for me it's better for my clients um and just keep reminding myself that you know I'm making the rules <laughs> I think um, that's
0: absolutely key to it I mm. think if if you take one thing from this podcast and you're feeling a bit burnt out in independent practice it is that you make the rules yeah so we yeah. have this opportunity mm. to create a business that doesn't burn us out mm. but we need to to have that sensitivity mm. really yes. so that we yes. can you know give ourselves permission to yes. do it yes cuz often yes. when you say to somebody what what would be your ideal working pattern they do know they've just never ever thought that they could choose to work
1: like that absolutely one of the things that I have also has been really important to me. So i mentioned earlier that I, you know, in my NHS job, I felt, you know, this kind of jack of all trades kind of clinical psychology generic thing. I really struggled with that. Um, and so part of, you know, developing a really clear niche Um, you know I know you talk a lot about that and it's very sensible from a a business point of view but I think from my point of view it's made a lot of sense in responding to that need to to feel confident about what I can offer to be able to build expertise um, to seek out the support that I need and one thing I don't scrimp on is supervision and it feels like such a great Luxury to be able to seek out the specialist supervision as and when I need it, and I never feel bad about that. It's really important investment for me, um, and it's a you know fairly big expense, but um, I'm not willing to compromise on that because, um, and I don't know whether whether that's kind of part of me at the early stages of my journey into private practice really counteracting a kind of sense of deprivation from before but right now for me that is an important way of meeting my needs in this work. Um, I think it is
0: really important and generally who you surround yourself with I think really matters because Mm. you might find that you have a supervisor that Is really helpful to you in some Mm. ways about Mm. some things, Mm. but actually isn't quite ticking your boxes on other things. And it's okay to then go and find someone else in addition or instead of. Yes. Because I think it took me a long time to recognize I could make that choice. Mm. Mm. And I had a supervisor who was lovely and so helpful to me in the early stages of my practice but she used to uh, be very proud of the fact that she saw seven trauma clients every single day. And actually I realized that being around that was really fueling a lot of my Mm. own difficulties Mm, (laughs) mm. um, and causing me to make decisions that weren't in my best interests Mm, mm. Um, because, you know, that was okay for her perhaps, Mm, (laughs) but mm. it wasn't, that's not a way that I can work. Yeah. Um, and so actually I had to choose to end that relationship Mm. and find um, different supervisors and Mm. I now have several Mm. because I think similar to yourself I want to nurture myself Mm. with all of that expertise and support yeah
1: yeah yes so that is kind of a compassion and connection bit and Mm. then for me creativity is really important and I think about that on two levels one is I do believe that kind of having creative practice is really good for us. Um, Whatever that looks like, um, whether that's, you know, creative writing or music or dance. Um, For me, it it falls into the kind of arts and crafts realm. And it's something that really sustains me personally. Um, So I think there's that part in terms of having a way of kind of buffering stress and processing what we go through and I think um, a creative practice is really key in that. But I also think it's about um, creativity in relation to our work in terms of growth and development. And again, as as a kind of uh, antidote or response to um, the, the pain that we deal with in our work and these kind of dehumanizing systems. Mm. Being able to do work that is creative, I think is a huge antidote to burnout. Um, and is a thing that I think is very crushing in an organization like the NHS where you know innovation you know is virtually impossible it has to go through however many millions of committees and you know there's no funding and whatever um and and I guess you know that can look like lots of different things it can look like doing training it can look like um just exploring interests you know it could be a podcast social media stuff um I think that's really important and it doesn't have to you know cost a lot of money or cost a lot of time but I would I do encourage everybody to to invest something in a creative pursuit or creative part of their work to sustain them in in what we do yeah
0: that's interesting because we do have so much opportunity for creativity in private work Mm. Um, and I think you know a lot of the time when I've been writing a new website or thinking about a new project I do feel that kind of creative ignition mm, um, mm. because you can just try it yeah and it might not yeah. work yeah you you've tried to do something creative mm. and you will learn from it mm. as well and mm. something about that process kind of keeps you alive mm. in your work and I yeah. very much feel sustained by that myself yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's often a lot of fear around it.
1: Mm, mm,
0: and there's this fear mm. of putting myself out there, whether it's doing something like that, which is a creative work project, yeah. or whether it's, you know, doing some knitting, which I know yes. you know a lot yes. about, <laughs> um, or a craft
1: project. I think people yeah. get scared to yeah. try stuff which yeah. they
0: don't already know they're good at.
1: Yes, yes. And I guess that's where the other two parts come in the connection and the compassion, you know, being able to be part of a community um, that feels safe, where people are doing similar things. Um, and yeah, you know, cultivating self compassion skills um, mm-hmm. to support you when things are hard. Um, yeah, so something like, you know, again like your do modern therapy community where people are all kind of struggling and no one really knows you know what's going on and you, you have a, a safe place to ask those silly questions that can really then support your creativity and, and help with um, calming some of those anxieties and allowing you to pursue what what you want to and what really kind of gives you joy and as you said, that kind of spark of ignition.
0: So, I mean, that kind of brings me on to the interventions that you recommend for people because mm-hmm. I know that you work with some people one-to-one but you've also mm-hmm. got some other offers out there could mm-hmm. you talk to us a bit about how you're working with people at the moment
1: yeah so I I mainly do one-to-one therapy um, and some of that is kind of longer term quite trauma focused to work so I, I'm EMDR trained so I bring that a lot into the work um, but I also do um, kind of shorter term work and I draw particularly on acceptance and commitment therapy and compassion focused therapy um, and you know sometimes people I you know I often might see people just for three or four sessions and it takes a more I'm not I'm not a coach but it feels like it has a more kind of a coachy feel to it um, because often people who come are um really motivated and, you know, have, have a level of, of psychological knowledge that they're kind of good to go and, and need permission and, and kind of just a bit of support. Um, but I also do reflective practice groups in organisations, um, which I really enjoy. That I guess that's part of my work mix because I do that face to face, mostly, and that's important, whereas my other work is online, so I like to have that mix, and having a real kind of foot in the ground of of what's actually happening, what it is like to be in an organisation is really important, Um, but I'm also developing with a colleague, uh, Mia Hobbs, we're putting on um, retreats that are developed around ACT and CFT ideas, but also with therapeutic knitting, which is Mia's Thing um, and really excited about that because it kind of blends all of these aspects together um, and is an example of being able to do really creative work in this sphere. Um, so, yeah, so that, that that's called creative restoration, um, and yeah, just a really exciting development. And I'll make
0: sure that there's a link to all of that in the show notes so that people can follow up and have a look. I think it's really exciting. I think it's great that you're offering that one-to-one support for the people Mm. that need it. Mm. And I think often we can forget that that work is really, really valuable when we get Mm. excited about developing Mm. a new creative Mm. project. Mm sometimes it can be tempting to be like no that's just my one-to-one therapy yeah but actually yeah. what a wonderful thing yeah to, to bring that kind of trauma-informed work mm. to the people mm. that need it mm. as well as the kind of short-term coaching stuff mm. in such a tight specific area where mm. they know that you're really invested yeah in in this topic of burnout and that yeah. you're gonna kind of Have done all the CPD under the sun. I happen to know. (laughs)
1: Um,
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yes, that's one of my about about (laughs) (laughs) area. And that you spend (laughs) so much time thinking about them. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really valuable. And there's
1: something about having a space um where the kind of unspeakable can be said because you know I don't have links to any you know organizations there's lots of great you know mental health support out there for health professionals which I always um signpost people to because it's free um but there's something about having an independent space um where this stuff can be voiced that I think is important too and something about empowering about that for people Um, yeah yeah it's so
0: valuable but you're also making this kind of big sort of splash i suppose by seeing people in a, in a different format where maybe people that don't feel yet like they need to come for one-on-one support mm. can learn to start cultivating mm. that compassion in themselves and yeah. creating some sort of space for creativity in their lives yeah, yeah. um And I I love the sound of, I love the sound of that. Um, I I kind of wish that I could knit. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get you going, Rosie. (laughs) Yes, please. Yeah, because I feel that a lot of us are quite inhibited about yeah. taking that first step into yeah. doing something that might meet a creative need yes and by targeting your retreats to specific groups of health professionals like yeah. that yeah it might just kind of open the door yeah crack yeah, to start trying yes. I love I yes. love that idea yes good thank you <laughs> so what's your plan for the business going forward is there anything on the horizon or any ambitions that you can share for the future
1: I think it's to kind of continue to um, explore the, this area of creativity a bit more and to see uh, how viable that is um, you know I think healthcare professionals are actually a tricky market because we're not great at um, looking after ourselves so you know it, it's it is challenging from that point of view but um, yeah that, that's kind of what I want to explore and, and I think right now in this moment as we're talking there's something about a responsibility to my own needs and shaping the work or you know my business around that I feel like I um, you know have a very good uh, sense of the clinical work that I want to do both in terms of being able to offer kind of you know real uh, expertise in terms of um across the spectrum of what people are experiencing. So people with a, a very significant clinical need and also um, more at the other end of, of more kind of the kind of coaching type work, um, which I think ACT and CFT kind of really lend themselves well to. Um, so just yeah just continuing to explore that to maintain a variety of work that is sustainable for me too
0: I think Um, that's really important and too often actually when I ask people that question there's all these thoughts about the whole world and no mm -hmm. thoughts at all about them mm -hmm. I think that would be ironic wouldn't it yes (laughs) your (laughs) specialty um so yeah it's really good to hear you thinking about that because of course it is sustaining you yes it's going to allow you to make that impact on the rest of the health professionals out there yes yes so very good modeling (laughs) paul Um, So I suppose, you know, I always ask people what the two action steps they would like people listening to this podcast to take would be. Mm. Um, I'm going to throw one in there and say people need to go and listen to your podcast when work hurts. (laughs) Listen to that people. Even if you're not feeling burned out right now, it will help you um, sustain yourself going forward. It's a really nurturing podcast. I love it. Mm. Um, But what other action steps would you recommend people to take?
1: Well, I think um, I think kind of having this idea of of compassion, connection, and creativity of mind would be really helpful. So, you know, just tuning into what you need right now, thinking about connections that you need to build, whether that is, you know something really values driven whether that's reaching out to people whether that's something much more about um, connecting with your body connecting with nature um, and connecting with your creative side um, so tuning in and making a connection I think with with something that uh, is about what you need right now love that and doing that as often as you can
0: and would your burnout toolkit help me to work that out.
1: Work yeah, out what I should so do download for me? that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> because it's not um, that easy for a lot of us is it no, to figure it out yeah. what it is that we actually need. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I also think there's room for like trying it out like that's okay too. Um like you know I had this experience the other day it was really super hot and I was flagging and I you know was in the middle of the day and I still had three clients to see and I was like oh my god I don't know how I'm gonna get through this day and part of me was like have an ice cream like have an ice cream like you know that's what that's what you need and then I was like is it is that what I need and I think before I would have been like oh no ice cream bad you know ice cream make you fat don't need ice cream but I was like actually I'm not sure like it is actually what I need in this moment I think what I need is to go for a walk and I can have the ice cream later um and went for a walk and that was what I needed um but I might have got that wrong and it might have been the ice cream that I needed but I could still have the ice cream so I think it's it's okay to get it wrong you know it's okay because that's how you'll know you know if if you if you try to do something and it doesn't isn't quite the thing Um, and I think there's some you know with maybe with practice I find that there are some go-to things that will never make me feel worse that will always support me which will be um, going for a walk calling my mum and knitting like those are my things so if I actually don't know what it is I'll try One or all of those things um and you know maybe just having a think for yourself you know in those moments where you don't know what it is are there some go-to things that definitely won't make you feel worse (laughs) um but might help you to tune in a little deeper
0: i love that often i i think what you need sometimes is just a pass and interrupt yes You just need to, you know, do something that is a bit different to what you're doing right now. Mm. And then it might emerge what the actual Mm. problem is. Mm. Mm. I know sometimes when I'm feeling a bit stressed, I'll just feel icky. Mm. I've got no better words for it. I'm just sat there at my desk. Perhaps I'm aware of a bit of the self-doubt stuff Mm. coming Mm -hmm. in more Mm -hmm. than usual. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's always there, isn't it? But yes. You know, if it's a day where I'm like, I literally can't face seeing that client because mm. I feel like such an imposter, mm. then I'm like, hmm, <laughs> there's something going on here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm rubbish. Often I'll have no idea what what it is or what what the real problem is or how I should yeah. go about fixing it. Yeah. So I yeah. love that idea of, you know, just do something. Yeah. And yeah. don't worry that it's not going to be the perfect thing. Yes. And yes. the right thing might come to you. Yes yes like that yeah I think that's a really lovely message yeah um and a nice one to end on yeah so thank you so much Paula it's been a really valuable episode Uh, I'm going to put all of your links in the show notes because I think everybody needs to tune into (laughs) your podcast and download your free resources and just start tuning into their own mental well-being a bit more in this work yeah Um, great so thank you so much for everything that you do to help us to do that thank you Rosie. Before you go, I just wanted to remind you that we are making some big changes at the moment to Psychology Business School and the Do Morden Therapy membership. Don't worry, all the changes are very positive and we're going to be bringing you more value, more content, more templates, pretty much more of everything. Um, But to let you know, this is the best time to join. If you've been on the fence about coming and joining us in Psychology Business School, our complete course and suite of legal documents for getting you set up in private practice... Or if you've been thinking about joining us in the Do More Therapy membership, our monthly membership, which helps you to grow and diversify your practice by getting outside of the therapy room. Uh, including our complete roadmap to a successful online course. If you've been thinking about either of those things, now is the best time to join because you will get the best price and you're still going to get everything that comes with the changes that are coming in the next few weeks. So if you're on the fence at all, jump off the fence and jump in and join us. We're over at psychologybusinessschool.com. Do come and take a look. I look forward to seeing you there. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Business of Psychology podcast. If you share my passion for doing more than therapy, then make sure you come over and join my free Do More Than Therapy Facebook community, where you can work on getting your big ideas off the ground with like-minded psychologists and therapists. I'd also love it if you could leave this show a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It will help more of the people who need it to find it. See you next week for more tips and inspirational stories to help you do more than therapy.